And we are really grateful that you have chosen to be here this morning because we say this a lot at Citizens, and we say it like this. We are Easter people. We are Easter people. Like throughout the year, we speak and we proclaim and we, like a broken record, each and every Sunday talk about the resurrected Lord and what it means for you and I if Jesus truly was risen from the dead. And now today, on our Super Bowl, we get to unapologetically proclaim that he has risen indeed. And so today, if this is your first time here, you've been here for a while, this is a great Sunday to be here. Because what we are going to talk about today is not just a, a, a facet of our faith, but the hinge on which our faith swings. If our faith was a door, the hinges would be the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no faith. This is not just a really good day. This is the day. This is the day where thousands of years ago, a literal body belonging to the Son of God was risen by the Spirit of God and now intercedes for you and I at the right hand of God. Jesus right now is reigning in his body. And that's why we're here today. But don't take my word for it. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the screen. Read it with me. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your proclamation is in vain and so is your faith. Moreover, we are to be found false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, Paul says, and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And then verse 19, Paul puts it this way. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If Christ did not resurrect, you are foolish to be standing in the back right now when you could be playing golf or having a nice brunch with your family. Let's just be honest. But I believe that you're here today because you believe that we are not to be pitied. You believe that Christ actually did raise. And because he was risen, you shall raise too. That's why we're here today. Paul is saying we are fools if this didn't happen. Hopeless fools. Later in this passage, he would say, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. If all there is is this life because Christ is not raised... But if it actually did happen, it changes everything. And so today in our short time together, I don't, want you, I don't want you to just walk out of here believing in the resurrection, even though that would be great. If you walk out of here for the first time believing that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that would be awesome. But even more than that, I want all of us to be able to walk out of here with the practical implication of the resurrection that Paul gives in Colossians 2. So not just the belief that it happened, but what does it mean for you practically where Sunday feels really good, but Monday morning is coming and it might hit you like a train? What are the practical implications? So with that in mind, let's turn to Colossians 2. We have been in Colossians as a church uh, for about a month and a half now. We'll, we'll be in Colossians until about the 1st of June. 
Um, and we have been studying this letter to the church in Colossae that this guy named Paul wrote. Now, Paul wrote the letter of Colossians, what we're going to study today, from a Roman jail cell. And he is writing to a church that he has never met, that he probably never met at all before he passed away. And he is writing to them because heresy, which is just um, unorthodox teaching and beliefs, have crept into the church. And they haven't come from like with, with, with major red flags and sirens. They've come subtle. Basically, what the Colossian church was struggling with was, was asceticism. And basically what it, was, it is is like just super, super self-denial. Like stay away from these foods, stay away from these drinks, and if you deny yourself so much, you will reach some part of enlightenment. And so Paul is saying, it's not that they were saying Jesus isn't important. They were just saying to the Colossian church, it's Jesus plus really, really good self-denial. How many times can we fall into that, right? It's like it's Jesus. Yeah, he saved me. But now it's up to me to make myself more righteous. Now it's up to me that if I stay away from certain things, that he will love me more. And so that's what was creeping into the church. And so Paul is going to say, no, 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 no. It is Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. It's not Jesus plus your own self-righteousness. It's not Jesus plus the way that you vote. It's not Jesus plus the way that you look. It's not Jesus plus your education or your marital status or whatever is going on. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. And it's Jesus plus nothing because he is alive. A dead Jesus, you better have some things tacked on because we're hopeless. But if Jesus actually rose, then we can actually say it is Jesus plus nothing. Because if he rose from the dead, I'm just going to follow the dead guy. And this is what we've been studying in the book of Colossians. And today we come to this passage, and Paul says this in verse 13. Let's read it together. Just three verses today. We're going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to break them down. Chapter 2, verse 13. And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He made you alive with him and forgave us of all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt, of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Three things we see on this Easter morning from this passage, and we're, you don't have to write them down now if you don't remember them. We're going to walk through each of them. But we see a problem, we see a solution, and we see an outcome. Just like your favorite movies, your favorite books, they ripped it from Scripture. There's always a problem, there's always a solution, and then we get to the outcome. And that's what we're going to see starting with the problem. Colossians 13a, we see the problem is death. Now, studies suggest that 100% of all men and women die. That was a joke, but it didn't land. It's okay. It's all right. It's early. I get it. Okay, I get it. I get it. We'll just keep going. But our bodies physically decay over time. All of us in here, bad news this morning, all of us in here will physically die, and we cannot escape it. However, what Paul is talking about here, if you look back down at it, the, verse part, the first part of 13, it says, When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Paul is talking to a bunch of people who are alive. So what death is he talking about? He is talking about a spiritual death. We could say it like this, that our biggest problem is not the external reality of decay, 
but it's the internal reality of sin. Our biggest issue is not that your body will one day go into a grave. Our biggest issue is that sin is the internal decay of our souls. And even worse than a physical death, there is something the Bible calls a spiritual death. And this is what Paul is talking about as he writes, that you were not just dead in your flesh. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, it's Easter morning, so we're not going to do a deep dive into circumcision. However, (laughs) it's important that we see the connection here that as Paul, a Jewish man writing to an audience who would have understood this, it's important that we see the connection here. You see, according to the Abrahamic covenant, you remember Father Abraham? He had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You know that whole song, like, I'm one of them? You know that guy from the Old Testament? There was an Abrahamic covenant in which the Israelites were to circumcise their male children on the eighth day. Normally, the father performed this procedure, And it made the little one a child of the covenant. And so this was an ancient sign, circumcision for the males. It was an ancient sign to God's people that they were in covenant with God. That they were in this relationship in which God initiates and in which God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And here in verse 13, Paul actually brings that up and what he says is, You were dead in your trespasses or sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. If circumcision in the ancient Near East showed sign of covenant, uncircumcision of the flesh shows what? That you were not part of him. And so here's the true problem. Are you ready for this? If you're taking notes, write this down. It's not just death. The true problem is not just that we sin, but that sin separates us from God. Sin takes place every single day in this world, and it is terrible. Turn on the news, and you will see that. I mean, gosh, what, two weeks ago? A man goes into a a school and and kills innocent children and, and teachers? Sin is terrible. and We see them every day committed in our world. But here Paul is saying that the, the real issue is not just sin. But that through the uncircumcision of your flesh, that sin actually separates you from God. Do you know this morning that your sin isn't just bad, but it's an affront to a holy God? For God to be holy, which is by definition God, (laughs) he cannot look at sin and just let it go. You would never, ever, ever want a judge in a courtroom to look at someone especially if they did something heinous and horrible. And say, you know what? I think you're good. Your debt's been forgiven. Go ahead. What would we say about that judge? We would say that he or she is unjust. We would say that he or she is probably not fit to be a judge. And so if God, by definition, is holy and apart from us and other, how can he then overlook sin? How can he overlook the fact that you and I, even if you don't believe in God today, you have fallen by your own moral standards? Forget what the Bible says. There are things that you've done that even you say, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. So if you fall short of your own moral standards, and I fall short of mine, and trust me, I'm the worst sinner in this room. How much more does God look upon our sin? And he doesn't just turn a blind eye. He can't, or he wouldn't be a good God. So Paul says, you are not 
of him. That was your story. Not just that you were bad, but you were dead. And what can dead people do for themselves? Not much. But then in Colossians 13, the end of it, this is what Paul says. Look back down at it. After he says you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he says that he, he made you alive with him and forgave us of all our trespasses. God steps in and Paul says, while you were in the state of spiritual death, he made you alive with him and forgave you of all those trespasses. But it begs the question, how? How did God do that? Because that's incredible if he actually did that. That we were dead, that I was dead, and I did nothing to make myself alive, but he did it. How would he do that? Well, let's keep reading Colossians 2.14. We see the solution, and the solution is Jesus. Colossians 2.14, Paul is super, super specific here. How did he make you alive with him? He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to a cross. We joined together this past Friday night for Good Friday, and it was awesome. We were packed in here just like this. And we celebrated and we contemplated the moment during Holy Week, what is known as Holy Week, and we contemplated on the fact that Jesus would go to the cross on our behalf. We studied Isaiah 53, in which the prophet Isaiah makes a clear distinction that the suffering servant, the one who would go to the cross, went to the cross for everybody else. Isaiah writes stuff like, he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. That he went to the cross for our iniquities. It was not his. They did not belong to him. But Jesus was the only solution. And this is so important for us to understand today. That he did not just go to the cross because it was the brave thing to do. Do you realize that this morning? Jesus did not just go to the cross because it was the right thing to do. Jesus went to the cross because of this. Sin requires a payment. And Jesus satisfied the debt. There was a debt. We just sang about it. It was my debt that you paid. Once again, go back to a just judge. No just judge in our judicial system looks at a sin, looks at a law, looks at a lawbreaker and says, you know what? I think you're good. Just go ahead. They are unfit. They are unjust. And all of us agree. And in the same way, the only solution had to be the perfect sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You owed a debt. I owed a debt. And he paid it. And get this. This is the only religion in the world that teaches this. And this isn't just me like, oh, well, Adam, you're biased. No, I'm not. Like, they, they just don't teach this. Christianity is the only religion in the world that actually does something with your sin. It doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just, you know, God just turns a blind eye. And in the end, God is love, so he'll just forgive everything. Christianity is the only religion that says there is sin in the human heart and God must do something with sin. And then Christianity is the only religion in the world that does not tell you how to get to God, but says that God came to get to you. It is the only religion in the world that teaches grace. 
that there is nothing you can do with your sin, but that the perfect sinless sacrifice came for you. Paul here says that Jesus took what you owed, literally, and nailed it to a cross. This language here is clever. Because what would happen among crucifixion, and, and Jesus was not the only one that was crucified. Uh, the Romans really perfected crucifixion, but the Assyrians invented it. It was an ancient device to torture criminals. And what they would do is above the criminals is they would write their crime and they would nail it above their head. And so if you remember in the scriptures, what did Jesus have above his head? King of the Jews, right? They were mocking him. That was his crime claiming to be king of the Jews. He didn't have any actual crimes, and so they couldn't put traitor, they couldn't put thief, they couldn't put anything like that, so they mocked him with king of the Jews above his head. And so Paul is playing on this language, and so when he says that it was your debt that was nailed to the cross, he's not just talking about Jesus himself. He is talking that if you and I were on the cross, our sins would be above our head, nailed to the, to the cross. And he's saying, Jesus, as he hung there, had Adam's sins above his head. Not his own. He had Adam's. He had yours. Jesus on the cross pays for our debt, not his. And if you were in Jesus, your debt has been paid. That is the solution. If we were to take time today, we could go around and we could ask ourselves, and you could stand up and you could testify. Who has changed your life? And you would say, Jesus. You would say, Jesus has changed my life because he took on my debt. And he has clothed me in righteousness. If you were in Jesus, your debt has been paid. He is the solution. And no other religion and no other school of thought teaches that. Christianity is the only religion that does something with your sin. When we get to heaven... It will not just be, Adam, let's turn a blind eye to this. You were really good. I mean, you planted a church for goodness sake. You must be righteous. No. The only reason that I am going to heaven when I die from this earth is because the man on the cross took on my debt. And now his righteousness has been bestowed on to me. Is that your story this morning? The problem is death, spiritual death. That separates us from God. He cannot overlook it. He cannot turn a blind eye. But the solution is Jesus, who is crushed on the cross for your behalf. And then finally, the outcome, and you're like, Adam, it's Easter. Where's the resurrection? We're getting there, okay? I'm getting there. Colossians 2.15, read this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. What is the outcome? The outcome is that evil is disarmed and disgraced. Evil is disarmed and disgraced. If the story ended at the cross, then there is nothing to celebrate. Because he is still dead. And if he is still dead, then you are still dead in your sin. And this is the closest you can get to heaven. But it doesn't end there. And Paul's very clear as he gets to verse 15 that on the cross, as Jesus was publicly humiliated, right? Do you remember the story? How they mocked him, not just with the sign, but with their words. 
how he was spit on, how they casted lots for his clothes, how he was in this bogus trial. Like, do you remember the public disgrace of Jesus in that moment? The public disgrace of a God, the scripture said, who never opened his mouth towards any of the accusers, who heard all these accusations towards him, and he never opened his mouth because scripture say he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. He was publicly humiliated. And now here Paul says, but something happened. Something happened. And triumphantly, God has raised him and has publicly now disgraced all rulers and authorities in him. Paul is pointing to the resurrection. What is the public display of the disarming and the disgracing of evil? The resurrection. There is nothing else. It is the triumphant resurrection of Christ. The public display that God has triumphed in the resurrection of Jesus, proving once and for all that he always and forever will win. Our sermon in a sentence simply this morning, this is the practical application for you and I, and we're going to get into a few here. This is our sermon in a sentence. The resurrection of Jesus is the public display of his eternal victory and the enemy's eternal loss. The resurrection is the culmination of his eternal victory. He is forever one. And at the same time, it is the public display of the enemy's eternal loss. Do you know right now that hell knows its fate? You do realize that we are in a spiritual warfare with the other side, the enemy side, demons and evil, and, and they know their fate. They know the outcome. I mean, why do you think when Jesus finds the man who is possessed, the demon drops to its knees in this man and says, please, please do not do anything to me yet. Just send me into pigs. And it's a crazy story. And you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Just go read it. He sends the demon into pigs and they run off a cliff. The demons know their fate. They know their outcome. Do you? Do you recognize this morning that if Jesus has publicly and ultimately disarmed the rulers and authorities of this world and the world's unseen, that you can live in victory this morning. Do you realize that if he who knew no sin would become sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God, if Jesus can do something with your sin, we say it like this, then he can do something with your Monday morning. Don't walk in victory today and forget it tomorrow. And you're going to need it tomorrow. Today's victory will only get you today. You need tomorrow's victory. You need tomorrow's mercy. And so practically in here today, if death no longer has a grip on you, what are you here to fear? If by the Spirit, your soul is raised to life just as Jesus' body was raised to life. What do you have to fear? Because the greatest evil of our time, which is spiritual death, has been defeated. For Jesus to raise on the third day is everything to us. And evil does not have the final say. Maybe that's just me that needs to hear that this morning, but we just need to be encouraged that evil doesn't have the final say. 
And there's so much evil around us. There's so much evil inside of us. And it does not have the final say. And so I don't have three steps of application. I just have this. Because I know this is the reality of all of us. In your brokenness, in your sinfulness, and in your straight-up messiness, trust in the resurrected Lord. Like, we need you standing in the back every single Sunday. We need this place packed full of people who don't think they're the stuff, but who have trusted in a resurrected Lord and said, oh, if he's defeated death, oh, then he can handle everything else that's going inside of me and outside of me. Is that your story this morning? Is that your story? The resurrection of Jesus completely and fully promises that death does not win, that evil does not win. That is the outcome. And I just want to leave you with one verse. This is Jesus himself speaking in John 10. And this is what he says to culminate Easter this morning. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The enemy, he's here to destroy everything because he knows his outcome. He knows his fate. The cross looked like he won. Publicly, it looked like he won. And Jesus says, the thief, the Satan, comes to your life, comes to your marriage, comes to your workplace, comes to your children, comes to your church, comes to your pastor, and does everything necessary and possible to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, Jesus, who we know was resurrected on the third day, says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. This morning, are you living in the abundant life? Are you living in the public display that Jesus has resurrected? And because he has resurrected, you too, right now, right now, live a resurrected life. If you are in Jesus, this is the closest to hell you'll ever get. Do you realize that? If you were in Jesus Christ, this is as close as you will ever get to hell. But if you're not in Jesus, this is the closest you will ever get to heaven. And so my question for you today, and as the girls come back up and lead us in a couple more songs, is do you have that life today, that resurrection life, where the outcome, that Jesus has paid the debt, that Jesus is the solution. And the outcome is that he has publicly and finally and ultimately and just publicly, can't get over that word, publicly disarmed the rulers and authorities. It was for everybody to see. Jesus appeared to over 500 people before he went back to heaven because he's just that gangster. He's like, I could resurrect and go back to the Father, but I'm not doing that. I want to go see 500 people. So that when those people are telling their grandkids, they're like, I saw the resurrected Lord. Oh, I didn't just hear about him. I saw him. That's what he does. He's like, let's make this public. If we're going public, we're going public. Do you have that life today? And so during this song, um, I will be on the front. And if you need life this morning, I would love to pray for you. If you are struggling this morning, I would love to pray for you. Maybe you find yourself in, 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 in one or two camps. Maybe you find yourself in this camp. That you know there is a problem. Because <laughs> you feel it internally. You see it all around you. 
but you've never really heard that there's a solution that's outside of yourselves. You've been trying really hard. I mean, you came to church on Easter, for goodness sake. But you need something else. You need something outside of yourself. Maybe you find yourself in that camp, and today, for the first time, you are hearing that the solution is Jesus and the outcome can be eternal life for you where the rulers and authorities of this world and the world's unseen that are evil does not get the last say and they have been publicly disarmed and disgraced. Maybe you need that good news over you this morning for the first time. Maybe you find yourself there. Or maybe you find yourself over here where you know, like, yeah, there is an issue, sin, and I know the solution is Jesus. I have trusted in Jesus as my Lord, but I have not been living in the reality of the resurrection. That everything that is coming against me, though it hurts, though it's painful, though it may take my physical body, it can't touch my soul. Maybe that's you today and you just need the encouragement to to start living in the public display of victory that is Christ in you. Wherever you find yourself today, as we sing, I'll be here, I'd love to pray for you. And then in a moment, we're going to come to the table. We're going to come to the table together. And so as they lead us, can we stand together? And if you need prayer for whatever reason, I will be here on the front. I would love to pray for you. But let's stand together and let's worship our God. Amen.